0: The Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Philippians chapter one, verses twelve to twenty-six. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me.
1: Alice, and I'm going to be taking us through our third week looking at the letter to the church in Philippi. Now, I'm sorry, I've not got such great enunciation as Isaac does in that video. It's just sensational, isn't it? So, sorry if sometimes I sound a bit lesser. It's an occupational hazard. So, Paul really hits the ground running with his letters, doesn't he? He doesn't pull any punches, no small talk. We're not talking about the weather. And as Adrian recently so beautifully unpacked for us um, over the last couple of weeks, Paul is bringing the Philippians church's attention to the transforming power of Jesus Christ and demonstrating that Jesus is enough, full stop, as we've heard this morning. And that's normally the pattern of Paul's letters. He just wants to give glory to Jesus and draw our attention to him. But in this section, Paul actually gives a, a little away of what he's facing and the situation he's in and pushes into the question of, if Jesus is enough, well, what are we living for? See, Paul and the Philippians went way, way back, and his love for them was deep. You can read about the beginning of the Philippians' church in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was like a kind of mini Rome. Very few Jews lived there. That's demonstrated by the fact there were no synagogues there. That's what, what Paul describes. In about AD 50, Paul, his friends Silas and Luke have landed in this town. They've booted their way across and begin preaching the gospel to this mini Rome. And it's actually a woman called Lydia, a seller of purple cloths she's described as. Uh, and subsequently, her family who respond put their trust in Jesus and start the first church there. Now, the authorities don't take kindly to that and imprison Paul and Silas. And some of you will be familiar with this story. Paul and Silas essentially sing their way out of prison. I mean, say what you like about their singing, but essentially an earthquake starts as they start a worship service and the whole prison's in uproar and the jailers turn to Jesus and it's this great miracle that actually ends up with Paul and Silas walking free, actually being asked by the authorities to leave The city becomes so freaked out by all that's going on here, and that's the foundation that's set between the Philippian church and Paul, that they know that Paul is this guy who saw this miracle of being freed from prison. So Paul carries on preaching the gospel until about roughly AD 61, lands himself arrested again, transported to a city for sentencing, possibly Rome, probably more Ephesus but he's not actually in a prison cell, so I just want to give you a bit of a picture about where he's writing from. See, Paul's a Roman citizen, so he gets placed under house arrest. He's chained to a prison guard, forced to remain in a property he had to rent, but still able to host visitors. What's so bad about that? Well, actually, being under arrest, as it would do in our society, was deeply shameful. Paul lived in a culture that was consumed by a desire for you and your family to be honoured, exalted, promoted, the very best of you on display. And so for those looking on, for the Philippian church, who had previously seen Paul miraculously released from prison, this seems embarrassing. Paul stuck in prison? Paul arrested? This is bringing shame on the gospel, like something's gone catastrophically wrong. Well, what's Paul's response to that? He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed and will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Nothing has gone wrong. Paul is saying God is still good and ultimately I am still getting to preach the gospel. The gospel meaning the good news that Jesus Christ, who is in his very nature, God himself, came down to this earth, died the death that I deserved, he did not, and so that I can choose to follow him and can walk in the freedom that he has bought for me now and for the rest of eternity and be part of seeing all of creation restored. That's the good news, right? Just in case any of you are in doubt or what the good news might be, just had to slip that in there. Paul's first answer to what we're living for is to make Christ known and his good news. How often is that my first concern in the midst of a trial or a painful situation? Not very often, I'm completely honest. Paul is no longer interested in the external looking good, he's not looking for a comfortable life. He is consumed by wanting people to know Christ and be transformed like he has been. And so any opportunity, even being chained to a prison guard, well, if you're chained to me, you're going to hear the gospel. Do we apply that rule? You're on a night shift with me. You're a teaching assistant with me. Well, you're going to hear the gospel. You're in a hospital bed next to me. You're at a school gate waiting with me. Well, if God's put you next to me, you need to hear about Jesus. Jesus. So it wasn't in spite of Paul's suffering that he continued to preach the gospel. He used his trial as a means of communicating that Jesus was worth giving up everything. Life is hard. That's not news to anyone here or to anyone listening. And we pray for miracles. We pray for healing. And we pray for deliverance. And we don't stop doing that. But he is also glorified when we remain chained to the prison guard, when the sentence says guilty When there seems to be no answer, he still gets the praise. Jesus is still enough, full stop. God's glory is not in the deliverance from my problems, as Paul is saying. He's in the midst of my problems. Now, I don't know what image you have of Paul writing his letter to his friends from this house. Maybe the chains are clinking away as he tries to scribble down his notes. But let's not forget that there was something hanging over Paul. Paul's each and every word, he was waiting for a sentence, a sentence that would either acquit him from guilt or sentence him to death. Paul knew uncertainty and the pain of waiting. And what sustained Paul in this waiting? Well, the second answer to the question of what I'm living for, to know Christ. Paul's deep knowledge of Christ's goodness and faithfulness to himself, his all-sufficiency, brings him to this internal battle which we get the privilege of listening to. I almost imagine it's a bit like an internal processor just splurging out all that he's thinking and feeling and we get the privilege of hearing some really deep personal thoughts. Paul says, for to me living means living for Christ and dying is even better but if I live I can do more fruitful work for Christ So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Paul was being persecuted for his faith in Jesus. And the charity Open Doors, who are a charity that support the persecuted church across the world, estimate that one in seven Christians are under severe persecution for their faith. They know the threat of death to live is Christ. The calling on Paul's life to preach the gospel was quite radical, and you'll be pleased to know that not all of us are called to be nomadic tent makers. Although that lifestyle may appeal to some of us more than others, to live is Christ means that what we do, we are sustained, kept afloat by him and for him. We know that God gives different gifts as we talked about in our series on honor before the summer. We need each other here. We need each other with the individuality that we all bring. And this family of believers is also built up when we each live out our calling for the glory of Christ. You don't need to be preaching up here or helping out on an alpha course to glorify Jesus. Living is Christ means that in the calling he has placed on your life, you do it to make much of him as if no one was watching you, but the whole world had his eyes on him. Raising children, running a business, volunteering, being a precious friend. Who are those people God has put in your life? What are the responsibilities God has given to just you? Because he's given them to you for a reason, not the person next to you. Paul wasn't a passive observer after he became a follower of Christ. I don't think you could ever accuse Paul of being passive, could you? He didn't just sit back in his chair, kick his legs up, stretch out his hands and say, Jesus, take me now. Could you imagine that if we all disappeared off to heaven after we got baptised? What about your colleagues at work and neighbours and friends? There's a plan for the here and now. We're present to be his hands and feet, the hands and feet of Jesus and speak life to this broken world, here and now. God's not given up on this world and we get to be witnesses to and co-labourers in seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray, right? Dying is even better. To die is gain. When I'm not hanging out with you wonderful people, I work in the NHS as a palliative care doctor. I was at Hendu yesterday, and they asked me what I did, and I I said, and I must confess, it's pretty much a conversation stopper (laughs) in most places I'm in. Um, you actually in Oasis are lucky to have two of us, (laughs) so me and Mike, and that is weird, I promise you, there are other doctors with other specialties out there, but I thought I'd just explain a little bit about what that means for me. See, as doctors working in palliative care, we primarily look after people who have a disease from which they can't be cured, and which means they're going to die, and our job along with an exceptionally wonderful team of nurses, physios, carers, psychologists, and so many others, is to make the time that these precious people have got left as good and as comfortable as possible. This involves medication, conversations, marriages. I got a dog onto a ward recently. But sometimes it means just sitting and holding the hand of someone as they take their last breaths. And I say this because... I know the reality of death, both professionally and personally. But why do I think this is the best job in the world? Because as a follower of Jesus, someone who has the spirit of Jesus living in me, I get to bring his presence, his peace, to a place where society and culture tells us that there should be fear and we should avoid it at all costs. Because if Christ has really won the victory over death, then death, where is your sting? If Jesus really is enough then death, you are no rival. I tell you this because not all of you know me and know my story, and this is just part of it, and I don't know you and all of your stories. And I know that these are significant, powerful, and important words. And so I want you to know that I don't say them without knowing the cost. One of the junior doctors in my team said to me this week, but why is this death thing so hard? Because it is hard. And I would say that without Jesus, it's impossible. And Paul too knows it is hard. Paul wrestled with this truth in the same way that you and I do. There is sometimes the expectation that as Christians, we should face death with a grin on our face and a spring in our step. And that was not Paul's experience. Paul had wrestled through the reality of facing death. And so we hear this in several of his other letters. 2 Corinthians 1 We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure and far beyond our ability to endure so that we are despairing of life itself. He also writes to Timothy, his dear friend, when he's under arrest for the final time, this time imprisoned in the Marmottine prison in, in Rome, where he's lowered into a dungeon underground alone, and ultimately he's sentenced to death. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You see, ultimately he wanted to know Christ so desperately that he has this internal fight. I am torn between two desires, he says. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live Some say that Paul was trying to opt out of his suffering, but he doesn't mention that at all here. Instead, he comments that living would be better, be better for everyone, the furthering of the gospel, and we know that's what he loved. But the draw of being in the presence was so incredibly strong that he would get to be in the presence of the one who is enough, that if this option came his way, he would take it. We're travellers here, only passing through, and every breath we breathe is coming back to you. We're strangers here, I know it's true, that death is just a door that leads us home to you. The reason I get a bit tearful is they were the words that we read at my grandma's funeral, uh, my granddad's funeral, so we've lost both of them in the last few months, my granddad's funeral a few weeks ago. These words are from a song by Stephanie Gertzinger. It reframes the way we see our time on this earth, that ultimately... Our home is not here. This is not the end of the story. Death is just a door that leads us home to you. And after the week, I and I know many of you have had, that's really good news, praise God. But yet, still sometimes we're not so sure. I was 11 years old when my parents told us we were going to be moving house, and I was devastated. I loved our terrace house with no garden and the rooms I shared with my sisters because it was all I knew. I'd grown up there. I knew no different. And as far as I was concerned, that's all I needed. How on earth could my parents suggest that there could be a better place? And you know, tw- 20 years odd later, they're actually st- finally beginning the building work on that new house that we are meant to start. Anyway, maybe we hold on tightly to this life because it's all we know. And that control keeps us safe. But maybe, just maybe the glimpse of the God we have sung praise to this morning, who has turned our mourning into dancing, who has healed broken hearts and set captives free. Maybe this is just the glimpse of something even better to come. And maybe one day I will be able to say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But this is a hard message. It's a hard message. But he is a good God, and he doesn't call us to journey this on our own. Paul says, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Letters, a communication from one to another, sharing something. Paul was sharing his trials and his suffering with the church in Philippi and here calling on them to keep praying for him. We need the prayers of our church family around us. We are not merely an audience to each other's lives. We're involved We bear one another's burdens. We share in the highs and the lows, grieving together, celebrating together, pointing one another to the one who is enough, full stop. Mm. The prayers of his dear friends in Philippi are not insignificant or meaningless words, but God is using them to sustain Paul and will ultimately lead to his deliverance. No matter what the verdict, is Jesus enough? Yes and yes and yes again, in every season, in every trial, together we can say, he is enough. We're going to stand and sing a song in a few minutes, but before I do that, I just want to pray for us. And I want to pray um, just using the Psalm 51. Um, so Dave's very gonna, quickly going to text the rest of our band who are out <laughs> listening <to laughs> in youth. But I'm going to just invite you to stand with me, and we're going to sing a song of worship. But before I do that, I'm just going to pray these words from Psalm 51. I don't know where this will have landed with you today. Maybe for some of you, death is a a reality. And if it is, I want to encourage you just to come and share, to stand with us, okay? We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. This is not something we do alone. This is something we we walk together as a family, but ultimately, we what I want you to hear this morning is Jesus is all sufficiency is enough. So I'm just going to read from Psalm 51, in a prayer prayer over all of us, prayer from David. Lord God, purify us from our brokenness, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again, for I am broken now. Let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey all that you call me to. Lord God, we worship you for the truth of this hard message, but truth nonetheless and truth that brings life. Lord, we turn our eyes to you again, all that you are, all that you're doing. We worship you, Jesus.